If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 150. Uh, if you're watching on a Kindle or a smartphone or an iPad, please feel free to do that as well. And as you're turning over to Psalm 150, uh, let me remind us that all of the Psalms, all 150 of the Psalms, were an ancient hymn book for the Hebrew people. So what I'm trying to do today is pull out one of those Psalms and give a brief guide to not only Old Testament worship, but also a guide to New Testament worship. Psalm 150, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him in His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute. And praise Him with the harp. So the last few moments we have praised the Lord in His sanctuary. We have lifted up His name in song either through old hymns or through the new song of our generation. But there's ways that we can do that because the Holy Spirit uniquely gives gifts to people to be able to play musical instruments. I love the trumpet, the shofar. It has this very unique, majestic sound. While I was in Israel a couple of years ago, I bought one of those ram's horns, and every time I try to blow it now, I almost give myself an aneurysm, simply because it's very difficult to purse your lips on it to make it do exactly that. But praise God, one day the Bible says that Jesus will come back to the sound of the shofar, the sound of the trumpet. Well, then there was another musical instrument listed here. It's called the lute. It comes from the Hebrew word nevel. And it's probably the equivalent of our modern-day guitar, what Wason plays, what Mike plays, and some of the other guys. This is where the strings of the instrument are on the outside over the bridge. And then, of course, all of us, when we hear the word harp from the Hebrew word kinor, it's another stringed instrument, but the strings are inside the instrument. That is the unique difference. So yes, we can praise the Lord with musical instruments, the trumpet, the lute, the harp. Then verse 4, praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the flute. It's been a number of years ago, I was just a little guy, my mother had taken us to an old-fashioned gospel singing, and there was a young lady in that particular gospel group, and she was playing the tambourine. And she got excited when she played the tambourine, almost to the point of scaring me several times. But tambourines are something that's normally used when you are worshiping the Lord. But not only the tambourine, but also dancing. And again, coming from a more conservative background and how I've worshipped the Lord throughout the years, the Hebrew word is mahal. It means simply movement to music. So I'm not talking about John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever. I'm talking about just when we are worshipping the Lord, we can move our feet, we can move our hands, we can give the Lord a wave offering. In fact, at the conclusion of the middle service just a little while ago, one of our sweet ladies decided to come up here and she wanted to dance with me. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. I'm encouraging us, again, not to draw attention to ourselves, 
But in our movement to God, in our worship of God, if we want to dance, let's dance. You know that King David danced? The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6 that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Now, his wife, Michelle, did not like it, but we understand that there were some ramifications and consequences that happened with that. But David danced before the Lord. It's okay for us to dance before the Lord. And then we see the word manim, the strings. This is probably what you would see, a, a small triangular instrument that had some strings in it, and you would sort of pick at those strings. And then, of course, the flute, probably a mouth organ. Uh, this was used by the ancients as well as the moderns today. So again, we're beginning to see an arsenal of instruments and movement that can be used to glorify and to praise God. And then, of course, praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Silsal, praise Him with the resounding cymbals. So we see that we have a, an electric uh, um, a set of drums to sort of somewhat dumb down the, the noise sometimes that comes from drums. But, but yet we see that in ancient Hebrew worship, they would have these two hollow plates of brass, and they would clang them together and make a very loud noise. They called it the clash of cymbals, the resounding cymbals. So we see from God's Word, 3,000 years ago from this great hymn book, of how the Old Testament Hebrews could worship God. So did there happen some type of event that says that we can no longer do that? Now some say yes. I believe the Bible says no, because in verse 6 it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. If you were with us early on in the summertime when we began this summer in the Psalms, we talked about wisdom psalms and lamentation psalms. We talked about the penitential psalms and the kingship psalms. So what is Psalm 150? I would call it a thanksgiving psalm, which is praise and worship that's offered up to God. But it's not just found in Psalm 150. It's found throughout all of the psalms. And I want to give you just a sampling of an example or two. Psalm 149 says, Praise the Lord and sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the saints. You know, every generation has their new song. I know that for my generation, uh, growing up somewhat uh, in the 70s, there was the disco movement, and then later on into the 80s, and we had the big hair bands. Every generation has a new song. But then for those of us who are followers of Jesus... There is this modicum of respect and rapport that we have with the music that exalts and glorifies God. And I thought about this last week as I was studying. I'd read a story years ago about the song Amazing Grace, which is probably my favorite hymn of all time. Well, there was a time when Amazing Grace was a new song. And the tune of Amazing Grace originally was a bar tune that would be played uh, in bar rooms across England. So it was initially rejected. They didn't want Amazing Grace being sung in their churches because of the association. So even our great hymns that we have in our hymn books and now we project on the screen, 
At one time, they were a new song. And probably, there were people that sat in buildings just like we're seated in today that says, I don't like that song. That's a new song. Why can't we sing the old songs? Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly host. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. I awakened early this morning, and as I was coming north on 231, 431 out of Hazel Green, the, the sun was rising in the east, and it was so beautiful this morning. And I said, go ahead, son, and praise the Lord, because I knew what I was preaching on today. Uh, recently, there was a beautiful full moon in the sky, and I was away from ambient light, and so it was very, very dark, and the only light that was just cascading everywhere was that full moon. I said, it's okay, moon. You go ahead and praise the Lord. Have you ever been out, maybe in the woods somewhere, and there is no ambient light? There's not the light of a campfire burning and all it is is you and God's creation and the stars and how they just cascade across the sky. And you go, okay, stars, you can praise the Lord as well. The Bible even says that, that the sun and the moon praise him, all you shining stars. Then verse 4, praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he created, for he commanded and they were created. So we see over and over again in the Psalms, it, it gives us this running narrative that everything that God's ever created is to praise Him. It is to worship Him. What about us, though? Just over these last few moments, did you sing this morning? Did you sing along with Wason and the band as they were leading us? If, if you didn't, this is going to be a little bit convicting because the Bible says, praise the Lord how good it is to sing praises to our God how pleasant and fitting to praise Him. If you've ever been around someone who is mute and they cannot speak, maybe it's something that happened at birth or maybe through an accident later on they can no longer speak. And if that person knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they would want to sing, they would want to be able to praise the Lord with their mouth, but they can't because of some physical reason. And then here we are. We've been given the very physical capability. Our, our tongue is still strong, and, and we can lift up our voice, but we choose not to. You could almost call that sin. I would encourage you, friend. You say, well, pastor, I don't like to sing. I, 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 I don't sing well. That's okay. The Lord's not asking you whether or not you sing well. He's asking you if you sing and worship Him. That's the question. And so whether we sound real good in our shower stall where all the acoustics are perfect or we're right here in a pew on any given Sunday morning, I pray that you'll remember how good it is to sing praises to our God. He goes on in Psalm 146, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord all of my life, and I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. I've been doing this pastor thing for a long time, and I've been in the hospital room, I've been in the nursing home room, and I've been at the bedside in people's homes where they were drawing their last breaths. And oftentimes, because they were followers of Jesus and they've always loved music, they would sing their way into glory. I want to be one of those that I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. 
And then if I still have my faculties and I still have a sound mind, I would love to sing my way into heaven one day. And that's exactly what the psalmist is talking about. And then lastly, Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's a praise song if those lyrics uh, remind you of that song. Because his love does endure forever. No matter where we've been or what we've done, maybe we find ourselves today in a quandary of sin. We, we find ourselves sort of mumbling and stumbling through life, and yet we, we know that his love endures forever. We began a few moments ago by declaring that worship is a verb. So many verbs, shout to God, sing a new song, meditate on his truth, walk in his ways, cast down your idols, make a loud noise, raise your hands, clash the cymbals, seek his face, praise him with the trumpet sound. And that's just a sampling of what we find in God's word. Well, pastor, I'm, I'm somewhat of an introvert. Uh, I'm not one of those that draw attention to myself. I don't do a whole lot of things in the public realm. Uh, when someone tells me that, I try to understand that because usually we are introverted about the things we want to be introverted about and we're extroverted about the things we want to be extroverted about. It's just sort of this duality, if you will, in our temperaments and our personalities. But is there a way to have corporate worship in a different manner than being very loud and boisterous? Absolutely. You can worship the Lord in silence. Being silent is an act of worship. We live in such a distracting world. So many things pulling for our attention. That if you can truly meditate and be silent before the Lord and hear His voice... Um, there's something about that. There's something mystical about that. There, there's something beautiful about that, that in that realm of silence, you can hear the voice of God. You right now, you, you're in a form of corporate worship called hearing God's Word expounded. As your pastor, I've, been, I've studied and prayed throughout the week, and now I stand before you. Our family likes to read Scripture together on occasion. We don't do it every day. Nothing to beat yourself up about, but, you know, as our lives all get busier and busier, when you can find moments to read Scripture together, it's something beautiful. On Wednesday mornings and Wednesday evenings, the last several months, I've been preaching and teaching on prayer. Prayer is something beautiful that is an act of worship. Giving of your tithes and offerings, and yes, we live in a world with PayPal and direct deposit and all of that. We, we can worship the Lord with the giving of our offerings. And then, of course, physical movement, whether it's dancing or clapping or lifting up our hands or bowing down before the Lord. Physical movement is part of that worship. And then what we've been talking about, singing. Singing uh, with our voices, uh, singing with our bodies, singing with musical instruments, praising the name of the Lord. There's an obscure passage of Scripture in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17, that I want to bring to our attention. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Now there's a couple of ways to look at that. That when we sing, he rejoices over us. Or the Lord rejoices by singing over us. I can take both of those. And I'm okay with both of those. Because I can only imagine our Heavenly Father singing over us. But I can also see how much joy it brings him when we as his sons and daughters, when we sing, he rejoices over our singing. 
And it doesn't have to be out of the hymn book. It doesn't have to be the top 40 of, on our, our favorite Christian radio station. He uses all kinds of music and all kinds of songs. And I know that throughout my journey, I have my preferences just like you do. There are certain songs that Wason sings that I wish he would sing every week. And there are certain songs I wish he would never sing again. But yet, all kinds of people love all kinds of music and all kinds of songs. So don't forget that the next time you got a little burr in your saddle about something. Maybe it wasn't for you, that particular song. Maybe it was for someone else. Maybe if we all learned how to die to self and esteem others better than ourselves, everything that is prepared to sing in worship or to be preached in a sermon, God has a mission for that, and let that mission take place. This is something that sometimes we don't allow to happen in our churches and our young people who are gifted in these areas wind up doing something else. I call them artistic expressions. It was a number of years ago, I'm pastoring in Hazel Green, Alabama, more specifically Lick Skillet, and I had someone come to me and say, Joel, I have this friend of mine who, who does a ballet and it's in a form of worship to the Lord. And I said, you're trying to get me fired. And they said, no, we're not. I just, I would love for her to come and share. And so I relented. I prepared my deacons and church as best as I could. And this beautiful young lady comes. And she dances across our platform and across the front of our stage. It was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. Not necessarily her and the dance, but just that it was before the Lord. God had blessed her. You could tell she was a gifted dancer. And sometimes we tell our young people because they may have been given a gift of artistic impression and something that's not normally used in church. Well, they're going to they're gonna do it somewhere and they're going to express it somewhere and we basically lock the doors of our church and say, you can't dance here. When the Bible says they can. Or an individual that writes poetry that has a beautiful gifted writer and they want to write love stories and love poems to the Lord Jesus and they would love for them to be read publicly but we go you know what we don't do that here so guess what they write their poetry to other things and other people but also visual art here's a quick story it's been a number of years ago I was invited to a youth event it's on a Saturday night somewhere in Tennessee and they had prefaced that the invitation by saying, Joel, we want you to come and you share the gospel throughout your time and behind you there's going to be a painter painting a picture and that picture is going to be something that relates to you sharing of the gospel and that's what we want to do that night. Well, I reluctantly said, absolutely. So here I am preaching and there's this guy behind me painting and every once in a while I'd look back at what he's painting and I'm thinking, this dude can't draw. Man, this, this is not going to turn out well. Well, what I didn't know is that he was painting it upside down. He had such an artistic gift given to him by God. He's painting it upside down. And when I came to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, and said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He turns this big canvas upside, right side up from upside down. And it was Jesus hanging on the cross. And at the corner was the empty tomb. And the place went crazy. And young people got saved that night. Why? Because someone was allowed to use their gift. So moms and dads, grandmamas and granddaddies, maybe your child has not been gifted to run with a football or hit a baseball or sink a basket or to do any number of things that are normal. 
But maybe he or she has been given a unique gift. Don't tell them no. Come and talk with me. Listen, I, I'm an Athens boy. If, if they run me off, I'll find somewhere else to preach. But I'm telling you, I believe we have a whole generation that needs to be told yes. You can use this for God's glory. Instead of always saying, no, we don't do that here. No, that's never happened here. Or we've never done it that way before. What if we said yes, and we want to help you to express yourself unto the Lord? You know, worship is one of those words. It's used over 158 times in Scripture. So worship happens everywhere all day long. Why? Because all of creation worships Him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For by Him all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. See, in every human being's heart that's been placed in their mother's womb is a God-shaped vacuum. And we will go throughout our whole lives trying to put things into our heart, and we're trying to satisfy a want or a longing. But the only person that can satisfy the longing is God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we tell our sons and daughters, no, you can't do this, or no, you can't express yourself that way in church because we've never done it that way before, it basically closes them off. And they may begin to say, well, I don't want a God who doesn't want me dancing before him. I don't want a God who does not want me writing poetry to him. I don't want a God who does not want the visual arts portrayed before him. Because I guarantee you, for every student in our church and for every older person and some of us who are in between, everybody worships something. Even that sunrise this morning taught me once again that God was seeking me. I love sunsets at the beach. I love when I can walk out of the condo and get on the sand and just stand there as those final few moments as the sun sinks into the ocean. That's worship. That is all of creation crying out to God. And it's God crying out to us saying, I'm here. I'm here. If we only understood the very delicate balance of our entire universe, that if it was off just a degree or two, if something was just a few more miles away or a few miles closer, how this whole thing would blow up in our face. Yeah, all things were created by Him. All things were created for him worship begins and ends with God and he's worthy of our praise so don't waste your worship a lot of us are going to worship in stadiums over the next few weeks we're going to go down to Tuscaloosa to Auburn up to Knoxville or across over into wherever and we're going to scream and yell and make a fool of ourselves we're going to paint our faces we'll be beside crazy people and the band will be playing the cheerleaders will be cheering the players will be I mean it's going to be crazy but then we come to God's house and we sit on our hands don't waste your worship now those things aren't inherently wrong those things aren't inherently sinful but when you and I become more enamored with those things rather than Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being raised from the grave on the third day, then maybe there's something missing on the inside of us. Because there is a war that is raging for our worship. And it's been raging since the beginning of time. We've been given a sacred trust of opportunities 
and decision because my worship and your worship matters to God. So let's be careful of what we choose. Someone wise once wrote, whatever you worship, you become. Now every one of us, those of you that's watching at home today and for those of you that are on campus, you can worship whatever you want to worship. But there's always a twist to the story. Whatever you worship, you become obsessed with. Whatever you become obsessed with, you imitate. And whatever you imitate, you become. I've loved sports my whole life. I've enjoyed the, the thrill of battle on the gridiron, on the baseball diamond, the basketball court. I've loved all of that. But as I've gotten a little bit older, I've, I said, Lord, I want to imitate your son, Jesus. I don't want to imitate Walter Payton or Earl Campbell. Those were my heroes when I played ball at West Limestone years ago. And for that particular season of my life, that was fine. But here I am many years later. Who do I now want to imitate? Who do I now want to become? In other words, whatever you value most will ultimately determine who you are. So what do you value most today? Are they temporary things that are going to pass away? Or do you worship things that are eternal that will help every one of us pass from death to life? Hebrews 13 and 15 is where I close today. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. We're trying to teach the balance to our 15-year-old Zeke about loving sports but also loving God. A relationship with Jesus Christ that matters more than a touchdown or a game-saving tackle. And to be quite honest with you, those are difficult conversations because we want him to be passionate, but we also want him to understand what worship is. So there's this delicate balance that's passed back and forth in conversation, but also in how we live our lives. Our attention aims our affection. So let's be careful of not being distracted in worship. We, like most other families, and you have a seven-year-old, you have these little uh, iPads and these other smaller Kindle screens so that they can pull up their little movies and, and keep your child's attention taken care of, maybe while mom and dad and others are doing other things. But on occasion, Danny will be watching her stuff, and I'll say, hey, Danny, paying no attention to me. Hey, Danny, and I have to keep taking it up till I finally have to go, Danny. And she'll look up at me and go, Daddy, you scared me. I said, baby, you were distracted. I said, what's most important, technology or people? And she'll go, people. But are people really that important to us when we're always distracted with everything else? Some of you walked in this morning distracted in your worship. Why? You're carrying burdens. This week maybe has been tough. I know some of you have some family situations where there's sickness. You're trying to make wise decisions of what to do next. We all can get distracted, but if you hear nothing else I've said this morning, let's maybe now try to focus. COVID hadn't drawn you closer to Jesus. It's made you drift farther and farther away from him. Why? You've been distracted. It's now time to come back focused.